movies today called Fruitful Living. It's, insp it's, it's The inspiration comes from the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians, namely verses 22 and 23, where Paul lists the fruits of the Spirit. And today's title, for those of you taking notes, is Live by the Spirit. And I'm just going to pray before I go into it. Lord, we thank you for the freedoms we have to open your word together as a community. We believe your word, and I pray that your word will inform us today. Lord, change us to look more like your son, Jesus. In your mighty name, I've prayed. Okay, so the working title is Live by the Spirit, and today's reading is Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. I'll be reading from the ESV. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not able to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So what's going on here then? Who are these people and why is Paul talking about fruit? Well, here's the context. Paul founded the church in Galatia, which is now known as modern Turkey. He went there and he preached what he calls the true gospel. Salvation through faith in the works of Jesus Christ alone. After Paul labors the gospel with them, he moves on. And shortly after Paul leaves, a crisis hits Galatia. These new teachers come and start preaching a different gospel. It sounds and looks a lot like the gospel Paul preached, but there's one very dangerous, deadly flaw in this gospel. It doesn't preach salvation through the works of Jesus Christ alone. The gospel they preach came with all these conditions, like circumcision and other Jewish traditions. Unfortunately, the people who had once believed the true gospel that Paul preached had now started to lead on another false gospel. And Paul hears about this and writes them the letter, which we now have as the book of Galatians, or the letter. Interesting to note this, that Paul writes a majority of the New Testament. And he has a clear structure whenever he writes a letter to a church. He usually starts with some kind of greeting, and then he gives thanks to God for something the church is doing well. And then he gets to the matters he wants to address. But when it comes to the letter to the Galatians, Paul doesn't seem to have time for niceties. There's something so pressing that Paul just wants to get straight into it. Let's use our imagination to see what Paul's soul works up about. Imagine there was someone in this church that you had been seeing for a few weeks and you really wanted to reach out to them. So you go up to them and you invite them for lunch. 
or dinner rather? And they say yes, and then you plan a date together. So you go out, you don't just go to any supermarket and get some piece of beef. You go to your finest butchers, the one that you really know does meat really well. A bit more costly, but you say it's worth the effort. You season it the night before so that the marinade really settles in. Dash some mint on the lamb, you know it's going to be tasting very nice for this person. You send the kids out, you tidy the house, you go get your finest squash. And then when the night comes, you have the dinner, you eat together, you get to know each other, you have some real relationship-building momentum. And just as the guy gets up and is about to leave, he rubs his stomach and says, that was delicious. You know what? Pulls out his wallet and hands you a fiver. Says, thanks, mate. That initial feeling, that look in your face, you won't say it, but that's disgust. Not because there's not enough money, but because what you was doing wasn't for sale. You was being loving. So let's scale this up a notch and see why Paul's getting so frustrated. If we think preparing your dinner is this ultimate expression of love, then consider Jesus. The fullness of God incarnate in man, human form, came to serve and not to be served. Lived a sinless life, fulfilling all the requirements of the law. Innocent, but handed himself over to be murdered in the worst way. Beaten and tortured. There's no book, there's no movie, there's no picture that can rightly depict the pain that Jesus would have went through to assure us of our salvation. And with his completed work that assures us, assures us of our salvations, the Galatians had the audacity to incorporate works in, as some kind of form of complete assurance. Imagine the Galatians saying, on top of what Jesus did, I'm circumcised, so now I know I'm saved. After all the work that Jesus did, fulfilling the law, all of its requirements, the Galatians thought they needed to sprinkle some kind of good work or deed or circumcision or other, some other Jewish tradition just to know, be certain that they're saved. Paul's frustration is that through Jesus, we have been declared righteous. And anything we do that we think complements or adds to it doesn't add to our righteousness. It actually takes away from our righteousness as we lean further and further away from the complete work of Jesus. Cooking for dinner for someone is nice, but there's a currency for that. If you go to a nice restaurant and you pay a nice bill, you'll get some fine food. But for the work Jesus did, you can't earn. We can't even begin to imagine what kind of thing we can give in exchange for this. All of us, the book of, the book of Isaiah 64, verses 4 says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Similar to the five-pound note in that story, when we think we complement the work of Jesus Christ by doing these things and adding up, stacking up work so that we can be really sure of our salvation, it, it doesn't actually complement, and it just ends up being insulting to the work of Jesus. It's actually disgusting. As, the, as the, the, Isaiah, when he writes this verse and he compares our own righteous acts to filthy rags, in the original Hebrew, he actually compares our own righteous acts to like a, a used sanitary towel. That's what he equates our own righteous deeds to. But yet the Galatians were parading these things around like, look, look at the work I'm doing. Look how I know that I'm saved. 
This is why Paul so passionately writes a few chapters before in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed, crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? In other words, come on, Galatians. You know better than this. Jesus saved you. You didn't save you. So what makes you think going forward you can save yourself? It will be wrong to assume the Galatians were doing this, shaking their fist at God in some kind of revolt or rebellion. These were people who genuinely loved God. So what trap did they fall into? What made this new gospel so appealing to them? It's a guilty conscience. When sinful patterns crept back into the Galatians' lives, they began to fear, they began to panic, and they began to, they began to be unsettled in their faith. Paul explains the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and he begins to list all these things. It's not exhaustive, it's just a list of things to show what the flesh produces. These behaviors crept in and the Galatians started to feel very guilty. They knew these things were unrighteous, so they looked for ways for justification, but they looked in the wrong places. They looked for something other than the completed work of Jesus. It's the human condition. This is how bad we want to feel right before God. We look desperately for ways in which we can parade our righteousness before God and feel safe. The problem of a guilty conscience is one we still struggle with today. Sometimes we don't feel good enough to come to God, so we look for these markers and these merits that we have to feel justified about our salvation. I don't do this anymore. I don't do that anymore. Now I do this. Now I do that. I pray. I read. We have these kind of distinctions by which we judge our salvation by. Basically something other than the completed work of Jesus alone. You know, in films and cartoons that I would watch growing up, whenever there was a protagonist who was going through some kind of change, like um, let's use Rocky, for example. He loses a fight. He looks all weak and scrawny. So what does he do? He has this big training montage where he's lifting weights, running upstairs, lifting heavy irons, and then by the end of that transition, you can see that there's some physical change. You can see that he's physically improved. He's better. He looks the part now. And sometimes we can carry that same kind of weight and expectation and kind of want of a transition in our own lives and walks with God. When we feel bad, when we've, when we've had some kind of loss, when we have a guilty conscience, we want to be able to look at ourselves and point to something and be like, this is why I'm justified. This is our salvation. This is how I know. Just like the Galatians, we look for something we can point to on the outside as a means of our assurance of our salvation. Look, I don't do this anymore. If the salvation work of the Holy Spirit is genuinely at work in our lives, he'll be producing the kind of fruit and character, the kind of character traits that Paul calls fruits of the Spirit. Of course, the question is not, do I perfect, perfectly exemplify all these characteristics in my life? But rather, are these a general characteristic of my life? Do I sense these attitudes stirring in my heart? Our salvation started with the work of the Spirit, 
it isn't sustained by our ability to keep up with a list of do's and don't do's. Why did Paul compare life but lived by the Spirit to, to spiritual fruits and not spiritual gifts? A spiritual gift like healing or preaching. See, I can heal, I can preach, but none of those things reveal the content of my heart. But fruit, these are the fruit, but the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. With these, there are no do's and don't do's. It's just who you are. There's no law of self-control, no law of love. It's just a fruit of who you are when the Holy Spirit starts to do its work in you as evidence as you have been touched by the Holy Spirit. You know an apple tree because there's apples hanging from it. And evidence that the Holy Spirit has begun the work of salvation in your life is when you start to display those spiritual fruits. Not because you haven't watched porn for seven days. So Paul wants us to know, Paul wants to know, having begun the, by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The Spirit beginning the work in you. The completed work of Jesus being the thing that saved you. Are you now going to be continually saved by the things you are able to do and not do? It's a rhetorical question because Paul's getting us to see how, how silly it is we can be when we have a guilty conscience before God. And he's trying to redirect our focus to Jesus and the completed work he did. The promise of deliverance of the flesh is not automatic or magical. Failure to realize this can be where the problems start, as perhaps it did for the Galatians. It's a journey and it's a process. And these fruits, like any other fruit, will take gardening and working and pruning. You don't plant an apple tree and then start eating of it the next hour. And perhaps that's the, the trap that the Galatians fell into. Yes, they heard the gospel. Yes, they responded to God. And maybe there was an expectancy like Rocky to just be this ultimate fighter for Jesus. And when they fell, when they fall, they have to reassure themselves by pointing to something like circumcision as, oh, look, this is how I know. The promise of deliver. I've just read that. But in order to live fruitfully as Christians, we don't depend on what we can do. We depend on the Spirit. So I'm going to read it again. And with this context, read as what Paul is trying to convey to the Galatians. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Living by the Spirit, not by a list of things you keep and things you don't keep. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you don't do whatever you want. Living by the spirit automatically helps it some kind of, it's the remedy. If you're paying attention to the law, all you're going to notice is how sinful we really are. But when we're being led by the spirit, we're walking in this freedom this freedom of expression to be Christians who God has called for greater things than circumcision. But if you are led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, 
hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That list is not the entire list of people who are not going to heaven, but Paul is just naming these things that are fruits of the flesh. Things that when we are paying attention to the things we do and don't do, to, as an assurance of our salvation, he's like, listen, these things, that's what you're paying attention to. And if you're paying attention to what you can fulfill in the flesh, this is the fruits of the flesh, and this is what will always happen. That's going to be the cycle. But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these, there is no law. You don't wake up in the morning and think, oh, I really hope I'm self I really hope I'm love. It's just who you are. It's fruit. It's the very makeup of who you become when the Holy Spirit has really begun the work of salvation in you. No measurement to quantify it. It's just your fruits that the Holy Spirit begins working. Like any gardener would know, it takes time, it takes pruning, it takes discipline, commitment, dedication, but it's happening. An apple tree is not going to all of a sudden start producing strawberries because, to, because of something. It's going to produce fruit. It's just going to take time. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Those of us who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us who the Holy Spirit has begun that work, we're dead to the flesh. Does that mean that we don't sin? No, but it means that the consequence of sin we have been redeemed from. We are dead to it. We lean on the Spirit. In essence, what Paul's trying to get across here is our salvation is the our salvation, proof of the Holy Spirit, is affirmed only by the work Jesus achieved for us and nothing else. We don't lean on ourselves, we lean on Jesus. You know, any time a preacher preaches about grace, there's, there is a fair factor. There is a, a level of anxiety because any true preach of grace should leave a lingering thought of, can I do anything I want and just get away with it then? Any true kind of exaltation of grace. That's why Paul says in the book of Romans, after talking to um, the Romans about how powerful the work Jesus achieved for them was, he asks them rhetorically, so what are you saying? Shall I just go in on sinning so that grace may abound? And Jesus, Paul says, no. Even though grace is that relentless, that powerful, that overwhelming, no, I have to tell you, that's not the result of grace. But God's grace for us is relentless. And the marker that shows you that grace has taken root in your life, that you've actually accepted this, this grace, is that you will produce fruit. Not maybe. You will. It's just the biblical fact that those who have been impacted by the Holy Spirit will bring forth spiritual fruit. You have to believe that. But then that, in turn, has a flip question. What if we aren't producing these fruits? The reality is, we have to question, have we actually encountered the Holy Spirit? 
Am I turning constantly to the things I can achieve in my own strength, looking on myself to make sure I save myself? Am I failing to lean on the Holy Spirit? If that's a question bubbling up in your heart right now, that's not a condemning thought. That's not a condemning feeling. That's the Holy Spirit beginning its work. That's the Holy Spirit sending an invitation saying, listen, now's the time. Not to have this dramatic overall transformation where you've become change of state like bread to toast, but to go on a journey where fruits are produced in you from the work that was achieved by Christ Jesus on that cross. And that's my invitation today. If you want to see fruits in your life, if you're tired of the sin cycle, feeling that guilty conscience that's pushing you into all kinds of mayhem spiritually, then accept this invitation. You know, I, I've been to several church services where the preacher would make an altar call and he would say a few things like, everyone bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, if you want to respond to him, then come. Don't worry, no one's looking. And I think, I think that's unfortunate because I think you don't, you don't begin this walk in shame. It's not something that you have to make sure no one sees you do. It's a proud conversion. The work that Jesus achieved for you is something you leap for. It's not something you hang your head in shame and defeat and kind of like, I guess that's me. I guess I'm a sinner. When the Holy Spirit reveals to you sin and then salvation, it's, it's chaos. It's, you know, it's broken glasses and thrown chairs. It's happiness. It's a riot is what I'm saying. You get really excited about it. I don't, no one throws chairs. But yes, if, if this word has pricked your heart, if there's something in you that's like, I, I now know I haven't actually had an encounter with the Holy Spirit because these fruits are absent. Or it's just a realization of, you know what, I have been dependent on my own works and not Jesus. Be glad that the Holy Spirit has revealed that to you and stand. And then we can pray together as a body. If that's, if that's you, please stand. Praise God for that. Thank you, Jesus. I'm just going to pray for all of you. And if you're near them, please surround them with prayer. Just love on them right now. Lord, there's a sense of irony being that it's Remembrance Day. Yeah a day that people fought for freedom. When we know, Lord, that you fought the ultimate battle for our freedom, our salvation. And today, Lord Jesus, we respond with gladness and happiness, saying, yes, Lord. 
We repent, Lord Jesus. We know we're falling. We know that we have these sin cycles that, that, that are embarrassed and our guilty conscience condemns us. But Lord, you say you don't condemn, condemn us. You didn't come to condemn, but you came to save. So as we transition from darkness into light, Lord, I give you praise. I give you thanks. And I pray your grace over these people. That as they've heard this word, it will take root in their hearts and start to produce fruit. That today there will be a change, a clear distinction that, Lord, they have received this word, that the fruits will begin to take root and the seeds will begin to take root and produce fruits in due time. I pray for the people around them that they will find encouragement. I pray that if they are in a situation where they don't have encouragement, that they would reach out. They will be found by people who are able to encourage them. I pray for a tangible presence around them. Encamp around them with your Holy Spirit. Give them dreams. Let them see visions. Let your word become real to them. When they're reading the scriptures, let it become alive. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.